So here's what I'd like to talk about today. Well, today's class is dedicated in memory of Sarah Bat Rachel, my niece Sharon Ishai, anonymously by someone who's really a good friend of the family and someone who cared very much throughout the process. So we want to thank him very much for all of his guidance, expertise, and love. And it's an honor for today's class to be dedicated in memory of such a holy neshama. Here's what I want to talk about today. Holding a grudge. Do you know people that hold grudges for a long time? Maybe you are one of those people. And you see, there's a difference between anger and a grudge. And I think this is the difference. When someone gets angry, they get angry. They get vocal. They get loud. Sometimes they get scary. They get heated, and they're full of open anger. And you feel it, and you see it, and you watch it. And in many cases, the anger calms down. A grudge is after that. A grudge is silent. A grudge means, I'm not yelling and screaming anymore. Instead of it being over here in my mouth, I hold it over here in my heart. And the grudge sometimes could be something that people hold on to for days, weeks, months, years, sometimes decades, that people hold on to a grudge. And today I chose to speak about it because that really is the core of what made the story of Purim spin. It's what made the story happen. It's how one man handled the situation and how another man handled the situation, which will teach us the travesty and the devastation that holding a grudge creates, and hopefully the solution and how not to. is going to both come from the same story. Where's the grudge? The grudge is simple. Haman becomes one of the most powerful people in the world. Every man, woman, and child bows to him besides one man, Mordechai. Mordechai doesn't bow down, and the Pasuk says, Haman Haman was full of this anger. Yet you don't see him go crazy. You don't see him yelling. You don't see him screaming. You just see him holding this inner anger that he's going to take out in extreme ways. So many people hold grudges. Because there are people here who are thinking, yeah, I know a guy who holds a grudge. Or maybe once I held a grudge. No, no, no. I mean people who aren't fuming at somebody. They just have simple resentment. They could have resentment to their in-laws that they're holding on to for years. People have resentment to places where they used to work and no longer work. People have resentment to rabbis for not handling a situation right that they hold on to for years. People have resentment sometimes to their spouse that they're still married to. And every day they come home and there's a little bit of resentment inside of their heart. There are people that have resentment to their parents. There are people that hold resentment to their children. And it's not something crazy. They may still talk to them. Many people hold resentment to their siblings. Little resentment, a little bit of grudge, 
And my goal today is to understand why this is so bad and what to do about it. Thank you, I agree with that. So there was a... There was, it's okay, it's okay, it happens to all of us. It's all fine, I mean it. There's a Midrash. The Midrash describes Haman by giving us a mashal that's not so well known, but I like. The mashal, the example, the analogy is of a bird who has a nest and the bird builds a nest on, on the seashore, on the beach. And he builds this beautiful nest and then a wave comes and knocks out the nest and takes it into the ocean and drowns it into the ocean. The bird is so upset. What does the bird do? He says, I ain't going to pay back the ocean. I'm going to fill the whole ocean with dirt and put the water on the beach and the beach on the ocean. So this little bird takes with his little beak a little bit of dirt and he drops it in the ocean. And then with his beak, he takes a little bit of water and puts it on the beach. And then he does it again. And then he does it again. And anyone who's watching says, Silly bird, you could do this for 20 years. You're going to get bit, maybe a drop of sand in the ocean. No one will have even noticed. What do you think you're doing? So of Haman is the same thing. Haman, you're upset at Mordechai. He swallowed your nest. He blemished your respect. What do you think you're doing? You're going to destroy a whole nation because of it? That makes sense? You're literally going to find every Jew in the world and kill them all because of one guy? It's nuts. It's as nuts as a bird trying to put sand in the ocean and cover up the ocean. Or it's as nuts as me and you who hold a grudge on somebody and therefore decide we're not talking to that person. But you know what? That person has a family and the family didn't handle it right. So we're not going to talk to anyone in the family. And the truth is, we sent a text message to seven rabbis when the problem was happening and none of them called us back. So you know what? I'm going to be mad at those seven rabbis. And the truth is, those rabbis have shuls. So those people in the shuls that have those rabbis, that have the audacity to listen to those rabbis that didn't respond to my text. This is all real. This goes on every day. It sounded cute, but it's not cute. And there are people who hold a grudge and they start expanding it to all kinds of people that may have some affiliation that should have done something that didn't do something. They're upset at somebody that goes from a certain school. They get mad at the whole school. They get upset at someone from a certain school. They're mad at the whole school. There's, it's unbelievable. And it expands until you look like that bird. Like you're really making such a big deal out of this? Anyone who knows the story that didn't handle the story, you, I, tell me you don't, you don't know this. Tell me you don't see people who hold resentment to large groups of people because of one thing that went wrong. Well, no one did anything. It's unbelievable how far it goes. People who are involved, God forbid, in the divorce. Or people involved in a business breakup. They blame everybody that ever saw the story. When you look at it, you're like, you're nuts. 
you're just crazy. Like you're as crazy as the bird. You really don't make you don't make any sense. And you start having this distorted life because now you can't pray in that shul and you can't go to that school and you can't talk to that rabbi and you can't be close to anyone who's in that family. So now someone from the family comes to the wedding, you leave. Someone in the family comes to an event, you don't want to be there. You anticipate before the event starts whether you should go because of this resentment that you have inside of you. It's an unbelievable distorted life. Let me tell you how it goes even further. There's a statement in the Gemara. It's actually a statement in Kohelet that the Gemara explains. Statement says, "En adam A person doesn't leave this world with even half of their desires filled. Half of the things you dream of, you don't leave this world with even half of it filled. And then the Gemara says, why? Because someone who has a hundred dollars wants two hundred dollars, and someone who has two hundred wants four hundred, and someone who has four hundred wants six wants eight hundred. Everyone always wants double the amount. But if you look, the two statements I just told you are kind of contradictory. Because the second statement said, if you have a hundred, you want double. The first statement said, you don't even have half of your desires. What do you mean? You do have half. You have a hundred. You just want two hundred. But you have half of your desires. What do you mean? You don't even have half. The answer is this is that when you're in that mode where you have a house, but you want a bigger house, you don't even have the house you have. You don't even enjoy the house you have. When you drive a car and you want a better car, when you have a hundred dollars and you want two hundred dollars, you don't even have the hundred. And the same thing is true when you're feeling those feelings of resentment. When you start resenting other people, you start not even seeing the blessing that's in your own life. Because you're so consumed with what you're upset about, with the grudge you're holding, you talk about it, you fish elbow about it, you talk to other people about it, you keep letting it out, and you're like, one second, you want to tell the person, hello, you're sitting at a Shabbat table, you have kids around the table, you have a lot of biracha in this room, why are you talking about that? But what happens is you don't even feel like you have this. And one more nuance, one more element of why it's ridiculous. The Basuk says about Haman, <laughs> it was degrading in his eyes to only kill Mordechai, so he decided to kill the whole Jewish people. And our rabbis say, you know what, that word, Vaivez, we've seen that word before. Where did we see the word Vaivez before? Where else in the Torah do we see that same word? So the Gemara Midrash says, oh, we see that word many, 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 many years before by Haman's great, 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 great ancestor, Esav. When Esav was sold the birthright and he gave for a bowl of lentils, he sold the birthright to Yaakov. Pasuk says, Vayivez Esav at the Esav degraded or belittled the birthright. And the rabbis compare the two. What does Esav belittling the birthright have to do with Mordechai belittling the idea of just killing of Haman killing just Mordechai? Listen to this because this is very true. That what happened to Esav? Why did Esav sell the birthright? Why did he sell it? Because in the moment, the bowl of lentils looked much better. A little while after, the pasuk would say, he would scream about the fact that Yaakov took his birthright. But when it happened, it was nothing to him. He laughed at it. 
take the, please take the birthright. I have food. I'm going to get the lentils. Take the birthright. But after it was over, he regretted it so badly that he screamed, how did he take my birthright? When you did it, it didn't feel like anything. But afterwards, you were full of regret. Haman's resentment and anger, you know what it's going to result in? So much regret. You look back and you say to yourself, uh, for real, for real, for five years I didn't talk to this person about what? Or for five years I avoided this person about what? I know someone who was upset at somebody, and that somebody was involved in producing a sidur. So because of that, they would never use that sidur. So, so many times in shul, they come at the shul, the only thing on the table was that one, they can't pray mincha, because they can't get the sidur. And then they can't get this, uh, really, like a real thing. And you say, really? When, with hindsight, it's such, it's so embarrassing. Sometimes when you look back at the grudges you hold, or the grudges you held, it's such a joke. It becomes so much bigger than it should. It doesn't even allow you to see the blessings that are in front of your eyes. And after it's over, you feel so silly. And you feel so dumb. And you like, can't believe I did that. I can't believe I was so mad about that or I held on to it for so long. Yet after everything I'm saying, I don't think I said one chidush to you. I think everything I said you knew already. Yet we still hold on to grudges. Yet we still hold on to it and we don't let go. And you know what happens so often? So often somehow that people that we have resentment towards because of something they did to us 10 years ago, somehow they come back into our life. I don't know why. It just somehow it happens. It just somehow, I, I, you know, you left the guy's business and you're like done with him and you can't wait to be done with him and you don't want to see anyone in his family because the guy was so bad. Next thing you know, his son's dating your daughter. You're like, now what? <laughs> no, but it happens every day. All the time. I'll give you an example that I wasn't sure if I should share, but I will. If you know, my father was the rabbi in the shul in Dio for many years and then he left. And he left and it was uh, uneasy leaving, I would say that. I don't know, there's not much more else to say. He just, it was like sort of uncomfortable when he left. And we kind of had a decision because there was a lot of people that we could have looked at and said, this person should have did different, and this one should have said different, and this one should have acted different. And there was a lot of people that we kind of had those feelings towards. And I don't know if it was an outright decision or just a subconscious decision, but we just decided we're not going to hold on to the resentment. Okay, maybe some people made mistakes, some malicious, some not, but I'm not going to hold on to it forever. Now when that day happened, when, when, when he left and he opened up this shul, I had no idea what I'd be doing. The truth is, in the 16 years since that day happened, I think I've come into contact with so many of the people who I could have had resentment towards. Who we could have had resentment towards. This person prays in the minyan. This person's kids come to the school. This rabbi I'm communicating with. The other one I'm working with. The other one asked me to speak it. And I could have, or we could have, held on to it so long. Yet these people crossed into our paths a hundred times. Two of my brother-in-laws are rabbis in that shul. <laughs> it's the truth. Because that's how the world works. So if you hold on to resentment, you end up living this distorted, funny life. 
because you can't talk to this one and you're upset at this one and you don't want to interact with that one. I know you can't date that person and that person can't date your family and you're like, what are you doing to yourself? You can't enjoy holidays because you're upset at your in-laws. You can't enjoy get-togethers because you're upset at this one friend and you can't believe they're going to be there. Like, what's, what's your life now when you're holding on to these little things that often you make into so much bigger than they are? Here's my advice. My advice is that the first Berachan Amidah that has a request in it is Why is that the first request of the Amidah? Before that is all praise. Why is that the first request of the Amidah? I'm going to tell you in a second. The, the reason why is The first request in the Amidah in the press. The answer is because that request is the difference between human beings and animals. What is the one defining difference between human beings and animals? Some people will say because animals go on their four legs, that's not the difference. Animals have tails, that's not the difference. What is the difference between human beings and animals? The answer is, we have a brain. That is a request. God, please Give me a brain that's strong and that's healthy and that has knowledge and analysis and understanding. You see, if you were well-versed in animals, you'd know that there are certain things that animals do every time. That means you put water in front of this animal, every time the cat will go to it. Every time the cat will go to the milk. Every time the ant will walk to the, to the little crumb on the floor. Every time. Animals, they have certain instincts that you know every single time they will do. Human beings don't work that way. Human beings have a brain, which means we have the power to, de to decide. The power to decide means this. It means that you have the power to have someone do something to you that deserves anger, that deserves a grudge, that deserves resentment, and you have the power to decide to not give them any of that. You have the power to decide, even though they're wrong, even though they're bad, they're not deserving of my resentment. They're not getting any of my grudge. They're not. I can decide not to give them resentment. Even though everyone around me says, how could you ever talk to that person? I could decide I'm not going to hold on to it. I have that power. I'm not a dog. I'm not a cat. I'm not a tiger. I'm not a lion. I'm not an ant. I'm not an elephant. I don't just live on instincts. I live by my brain. And my brain can tell me, I can decide that even though everyone says, and everyone in my position would resent, I can decide not to. Let me tell you a powerful story. The story of a young man named Ivan who was born 1929. 1929, Ivan was born in the heart of the Great Depression. He remembers his father, William, working in the canal all day and then working the farm at night and in the morning. His father was so exhausted from his tough boss all day that at night he would resort to drinks and alcohol, and vile language, and rages of yelling and screaming. And he remembers his dad sometimes being so violent, Ivan himself was so scared. And the violence would often come out on the animals in the farm. He remembers one time he was with his father, 
and his father was trying to take care, trying to put a shoe on a horse. And the horse pushed its leg and scraped and put a gash in his father's leg. He says, I remember my father taking a metal rod and hitting and hitting and bashing the horse on its head. Until he says, I'm holding the horse myself. This young Ivan says, I'm holding the bridle of the horse. And 1,800 pounds of horse falls to the ground and dies in my hands. He says, I was so scared. I watched my father beat dogs and hit cats and hit sheep and hit cows. And I kept thinking to myself, this violence is so extreme. I'm going to be next. He says, and then there was one day. My father and I were in the barn. My father was doing some chores and I was milking a cow. And the cow, his tail, like, swung and hit me in the eye. And like, scratched me in the eye. And out of instinct, I got up, I took the metal stool I was sitting on and started hitting the cow and bashing the cow. He says, and then I put down the stool and I slumped into the stool. And then I realized that the cow is my father's favorite cow. And my father's in the barn. He says, I sat there with my head against the cow and I'm just waiting. And I'm waiting for my father to come. And I know what's coming next. He says, and all I heard was silence. I was frightened. I was so scared. He says, and then I heard my father come up from behind me and say, Ivan, if you'll stop, I'll stop. And he says, from that day forward, he told the story 70 years later. He says, from that day forward, I never met a more gentle man in my life. No more alcohol, no more violence, no more horrible language, nothing. Because you see, when you have the motivation, you decide. And you can sometimes look at your life and say, am I really not going to that shul and talking to those people and going to that wedding? And am I really still holding that resentment and never enjoying a Pesach Seder with these people? Am I really holding on to this this long? Am I really holding on to this? That my own husband I'm holding resentment towards. Or my own children, that I can't ever enjoy them because of these little things that I have in my head. Am I an animal or am I a human being? Do I have the power to decide that I don't have to hold resentment just because everyone else thinks I should? So let me tell you how to get the resentment and the grudges out of your heart. I'm going to give you just a few ideas. The first one is, realize that God runs the world. Really, I mean it deeply. God runs the world. Not your boss, not your neighbor, not your husband, not your parents, not your in-laws or your kids. God runs the world. And just in case you weren't sure, we have a living proof today. It's called the coronavirus. You know I was going to mention the coronavirus. The coronavirus. If there is, I can't even believe how much this country is buzzing over this virus. You know, I work in a school. Every single kid in the building, all they want to talk about is this coronavirus. What happened? Someone got it here. Someone got it there. Someone caught it there. Are we going to close down school? By the way, the kids are 50% frightened and 50% excited because they kind of don't mind if school closes for like three weeks. 
But I want to tell you something what's amazing, what's so amazing about this coronavirus. You know what's so amazing about it? How did it start? They're not even clear, but they say there was a bat in China in a random, I don't know, Wahoo or something market. And the bat, had a little bit of juice from the bat, went into a cow and they slaughtered the cow and people, some random China person, ate some of that meat and somehow it spread. Which means a little bat in the middle of nowhere was eaten by a man who if you saw him on the road, you wouldn't say hi if you saw him a thousand times. Yet that little bat brought... That little bat brought the whole world to its knees. The whole world. It's unbelievable to watch. The whole world. These people tell me, Rabbi, a month ago, we were making so much money. The economy was never better than it's been. In 20 years, it hasn't been as good. Trump and the tariffs and not the tariffs, they got it all worked out. I forget it. Business was rolling for so many people. Rolling. Yet, a little bat in the middle of nowhere, eaten by a guy who you'd never say hi to, cost the world billions, maybe trillions of dollars. It's unimaginable. The whole world came to a standstill from a bat. And you're not sure that God runs the world? You think your in-laws do? <laughs> really? And just in case, you think this is the first time. Let me give you another example. You know, our people went down to Egypt for 210 years of bondage and suffering and then received the Torah and Har Sinai were 40 years in the desert and then went into Israel. Do you know what caused all of that? A fly. A fly. You know the fly? Fly. A fly. You don't know the story? I'll tell you the story. Maybe this will remind you. There was a man. His name was Joseph. He had 11 brothers. Maybe you heard of him. He was thrown into a ditch and then sold down to Egypt. He was then working in a man's house and falsely accused. He was thrown into jail. In jail, he met two men. Those two men had dreams. Yosef interpreted those two dreams. He told one man, you're going to die. He told the other man, you're going to work for Paro in a few days. And sure enough, that man was back working for Paro a few days later. Two years later, Paro had two dreams. This man told Paro, wow, you had two dreams. I know someone in jail who can interpret those two dreams. His name is Yosef. Paro pulled Yosef out of jail. Twenty minutes later, he was the most powerful man in the world under Paro. There were seven years of plenty, and then years of famine. And then finally, the Jewish people, Yaakov, his sons and his grandchildren, his whole family descended down to Egypt. And then 210 years of bondage. And then the desert. And then Israel. And then our whole nation was created. All from a fly. Do you know how it was from a fly? Well, it's very simple. Because I told you, Yosef met these two men in jail. Why was that man in jail? His job was the Sad HaMashkin. He would bring wine to Paro. One day, a fly dropped into the cup of wine. And because of that, Paro put him in jail. Because he was in jail, he met Yosef. Because he met Yosef, he left jail. And because he left jail, he met Paro and was able to tell Paro about Yosef. And then Yosef became the most powerful person in the world and brought our people down to Egypt and brought us to Har Sinai and took us in the desert for 40 years and brought us into Eretz Israel. The whole story happened with a fly. 
I'm not making it up. I'm not exaggerating. I didn't add one detail. And you're not sure if Hashem runs the world, so the next time you see something go wrong in business, and you want to hold resentment to a brother or a brother-in-law, really? You don't realize? You don't see it? You don't see Hashem controlling everything? You don't realize that Hashem is manipulating? So yes, that person was wrong. Yes, the person deserves resentment. But you think it's him? When Hashem wants the whole world to buzz about something, a word no one ever heard of. A month ago you say Corona, people think beer. No one ever thought of this. And now all of a sudden, the whole world is frightened and talking and wearing masks and Purell and shaking, not shaking hands. The whole world. The whole world. The stock market is like a rock falling in the ocean. Hashem runs the world. So you're holding resentment towards that, the pawn in God's chess game. I'll give you another reason. Another reason why resentment makes no sense is because you're better than that. You see, the downfall of Haman was as egotistical as he was. He was obviously extremely insecure. Because one man didn't bow down to him and he cared about it. You see, our people, Haman comes back from Amalek. Amalek was going to bring a similar mentality to our people. Let me show you how. Because see, Amalek fought the Jewish people when we came out of Egypt. And everyone says Amalek cooled off the water. The Jewish people were rolling and hot and on fire and doing great. And now Amalek came and cooled us down. For the world, they cooled us down. But they didn't cool us down for ourselves. You know why? Because how do we fight Amalek? And you'll understand what I mean in a minute. How do we fight Amalek? Moshe sat on a rock and had two people hold up his arms. As long as his arms were held up to heaven, the Jewish people looked up to heaven to Hashem and they were victorious. Why did looking up to heaven make them victorious? I'll tell you why. Because looking up to heaven made them realize we're bigger than this. Yes, we're in a little fight with Amalek, but we don't care. This is not a big deal. This is not going to phase us. We're not going to think about this. We're not going to care about this. That person you saw on the street who didn't say hello, you're bigger than that. Even the person who you think stopped you from some income, you're bigger than that. Even a little disagreement that you have with a brother-in-law, you're bigger than caring about that. These things don't matter. They shouldn't matter. And you know what the greatest image of that was? Mordechai. Mordechai lo yichra velo yishtachaveh. It's basically saying he wouldn't bow and he wouldn't bow. What does he mean he wouldn't bow? He physically wouldn't bow and he mentally wouldn't bow. He doesn't care. Haman wants you to bow and Haman wants you to serve him. Mordechai doesn't care. I'm above that. I'm like the Jewish people with Moshe's hands holding up to the heaven. Saying we don't care about these things. You're really going to sit and hold on to these little nuances of your life? And you're going to sit there and distort your life because of some person? You think that person matters that much? You think, you know, you're upset because everyone didn't get involved. Everyone doesn't even think it's that big a deal. They think you're stronger. They think you're more confident. They think you're more capable. They think you moved on. They can't believe that you're still holding on to that little bit of nonsense. Are you kidding? I'll give you a real personal example. So I had someone who was very upset at me. Very upset at me. He thought that I could have helped his kid in a certain way, his daughter, and I couldn't have. But he thought I could have. 
and he was very upset at me. He sent me tough text messages, stopped talking to me, was really upset at me. So a little while ago, like two months ago, I walk into a house and I see this man there. So now I have a choice to make. It happens to be, I know, this guy, like if I get up to speak, would walk out of the room. Now I have a choice to make. I said, do I really care? Am I real? I walked right over to him, like almost like surprised him, and said, by the way, you have to watch your son when he does this and that. The kid is a gem. Guy couldn't believe it. One second, Rabbi Hava, I, I, he knows I'm mad at him. Like, how did he just come over and give a compliment? I'll tell you why. Excuse me for saying this. I don't care. I'm bigger than that. It doesn't matter that much. So you're a little upset at me? Okay, you're a little upset at me. I'm bigger than that. Then went over to his wife, said the same thing. Same compliment. Not because I'm smart or not because I'm powerful, not because I'm so confident. But I'm just, I'm better than that. I'm better than caring this much. I feel I'm above it. I don't feel like I should sit and get down in the dirt and in the mud and care about these little things. Let me give you another awesome story. There was a dinner a few weeks ago for YDE. Someone spoke at the dinner. I forget his name. I wasn't there, but someone told me the story that this man had said. There was an event where Margaret Thatcher, the Prime Minister of England, went to this big celebration wearing a dress, a beautiful dress. When she walked in, she realized that the Queen of England was also at the event wearing the same dress. Now, you don't wear the same dress as your sister-in-law. You're definitely going to wear the same dress as the Queen of England. So she quickly leaves the room and changes, but feels very, very bad. So she sends a letter to the Queen of England saying, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I should have really found out before what you were going to be wearing, and I should have worn something else. Excuse me, I'm sorry, I apologize to the Queen. A few weeks later, Margaret Thatcher, Prime Minister of England, gets a letter back from the Secretary of the Queen. And the letter says, the Queen doesn't even notice commoners. One second. Wait, one second. Let, me, let me get this here for a second. One second. Understand? Commoners, regular people. Yes, but one second. Here's what's crazy about it. The Queen of England is calling Margaret Thatcher a commoner? Margaret Thatcher is the Prime Minister, the person with the most power in the country. The Queen of England has less power than me. She can't do anything. She's powerless. And you're calling her a commoner? Yes, because to gloat your ego, you need to say it. There's a lot of people who would have held on to that letter and said, I'm the Prime Minister. The audacity to say that to me? And then there's other people that are bigger than that. Okay, so you're the queen, you have to get out of your system, you have to make me feel like I'm low, I got it, mazel tov, put the letter in the trash, and move on, guide a country. And the truth is, you have a life. You have a life. And if you have a life, you don't have time for these little people in your past and in your history that you're holding on to. And I'll tell you one last reason why you don't have time, and then we're done. One last reason to try and remove this resentment from your heart. And after we're done, there's a man in the back who's raising money for families in Israel. Last week we helped babies. This week we're helping poor families with food. For every week and for the holidays, we'll give them afterwards $10, $20, even more if you can. But let me tell you this last reason. I think it's very important. Whoever you're holding that resentment and that grudge to, I want you to stop for just a minute. Don't tell anyone you're doing this. And understand them. I want you to understand 
what they're thinking. Because a lot of times, even though they're wrong, there's a lot that they're dealing with. And when you understand them, you don't start to agree with them. But at least you remove the resentment from your heart and you say to yourself, you know, I'm upset that uh, my brother-in-law. And then you say, one second, my brother-in-law, he's got this going on, he's got that going on, he's struggling with this, he's struggling with that. No wonder he had to give me that little zinger line. I know why he needed to say it. Because there's so much in his head. I'm upset at this business that let me go, that fired me. But you know what? The economy is down and they are in trouble. And I get it. I think they should have fired someone else instead of me. But I understand it. And I'm going to tell you this, end with this little story, which to me was very meaningful. I hope it is to you as well. It's about a care center, a old age home, semi-hospital in California. There was a Vietnamese woman, who I believe during the Vietnamese War, who had come to America to visit her children in the East Coast, and somehow ended up in the hospital on the West Coast in California. And now she's in this hospital, this rehab center, and she doesn't speak English at all. And she's beside herself. She starts screaming. She doesn't have children there. She's not in her country. She starts screaming. She starts, they give her food. She starts throwing the food. She starts throwing other things, which I wouldn't mention here, but her waist, and she's just throwing things around like she's just crazy. So they have a meeting once a week in this VF center and they say, what do we do with this woman, Mrs. Tam from Vietnam? She's crazy. And someone says, yes, she's crazy. I think we just have to release her. Someone else says, maybe we just have to sedate her. There's someone else she should go with. There's the medicine. Like, there's, there's, really, there's really nothing we can do for this person. Like, it's just, it's just insane. Maybe we have to let her go. She's a crazy person. And so they all agree there's nothing to do and they start getting up to leave the meeting and one person in the corner of the room still sitting down says, Imagine what it's like to be her. So they all sat down. I said, just think about it. What it's like to be her. She's in a foreign country. She doesn't speak the language. Not one word of it. Not one word. She doesn't have her children here. She has this disease. She doesn't know what's going on. We're coming into the room, hitting, pricking, doing, pulling. Pull. She doesn't understand what's going on. She's flipping out. So someone else in the room says, wow, you know what? I have near my house a little Vietnamese food store. I'm going to buy some, some recipes of food that maybe she'll appreciate. And someone else says, you know what? I'm going to look in the social services and maybe there are people, Vietnamese people in the neighborhood who could come visit her. And they start bringing her food and little trinkets from Vietnam and they start bringing people who can meet with her one-on-one -on -one and explain to her what's going on. And the whole experience changed. Sometimes the person you're holding resentment to if you knew their story, you'd feel silly that I'm really so bent out of shape because of one line they said or something they did. Stop and understand them. Don't understand them enough to agree with them because I'm telling you they're wrong. But understand them enough to understand why you don't deserve to have resentment in your heart over them. So what I'm here to tell you, is Haman held it, handled one way and Mordechai another way. Haman let a little small thing become like the bird at the edge of the sea that's trying to fill the sea with sand and do something that's impossible and ridiculous and couldn't even experience his own blessing. You could be that person. 
who allows resentment and grudge to start to permeate so many areas of your life where you can't even look at your child and appreciate the beracha that's in front of you. And you extend it to so many people and you become 10 years from now, you're going to look back and you're going to say, I was so silly. Or you could say, I am a human being and I have the power to decide. Maybe something in my life right now today is going to make me, motivate me to say, you know what, Ivan, if you won't, I won't. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to be like Mordechai. I'm going to realize that Hashem runs the world. Not mere people. Haman wasn't the guy. In Mordechai's world, only God was. Just like Hashem could bring coronavirus, He controls everything that's happening around my life. And when I understand that, I know that I am above the resentment of little people with little problems, the little memories that I'm holding on to in my little brain. And if I want to really get the resentment out of my heart, let me stop for five minutes and imagine what they're feeling. And then I realize how dumb it is what I'm feeling. You could live a life of resentment and live a distorted, funny life. Or you could be above it all and live happy. Thank you.